Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey guys, welcome back to Better, the brand designer podcast. Happy Tuesday or whatever day you're listening to this on. Me and Esther are back with just a solo Gen SE episode. Woo-hoo. We love our solo time. I'm so happy to be back with you. It has I been know. every time we don't talk for like one week, I'm like, wait, what's happening in Jen's life? Like I we know. were just spending a long time before we even started recording, just talking because it's been a minute. And even though like we do Voxer and stuff, it's still not the same as like seeing each other on camera. This is our first episode recording also together after our trip or my trip to visit you. And it's like, I mean, we were having some microphone issues of like putting two microphones in the same room. So like, we don't have those issues now, but I don't know. I just feel like I've seen her office in person. Like I know what everything looks like there. I like, I know the layout of her house. Like there's just something special about that. And so, yeah, we were just talking about like Esther just got her teeth whitened and they look so good. They are yes. very white and they hurt a lot. Like, I don't know if you guys have had your teeth whitened before, but even like if I do the strips at home, they start to hurt after three times. So it hurts really bad, but I feel good. So, you know. The beauty is pain. Exactly. As we all know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jen, I was going to say that I had a dream last night about us recording together in person. And I'm not kidding. Like, it was like, oh, we're, yeah, we're just going to like go over to each other's houses and like, casually like I think in my dream we lived in the same area or at least like relatively close or maybe we flew to each other but I feel like it's like manifesting it's going to happen at some point that we're going to be able to like have the funds to do this more often and I may be coming to Orlando soon so Woohoo! So many episodes being recorded in person. Well, you know, when I'm manifesting like us being acquired by like a larger production company, we get to like drive into the city and like record in their like recording studio. Like I feel like I listen to some podcasts that like are owned by media companies and then it's like, wow, they actually, they're like, oh, going into the office today. Hey, we're at the like headquarters, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting but here. I love where we're at now. <laughs> I feel like this is all part of the process and this is just part of our little evolution. And it's going to be interesting looking back in a couple of years. I mean, we've already made so much progress in our own lives and our own business since I met you. So mm-hmm. it's just really cool to see how things progress and I love it. I love you. We're getting better season by season. I love you too. Love this moment. Okay, guys. Intro question time. Esther, what is a hot take that you have on life in general? We're kind of going with the theme of the title of today's episode here. Oh, yeah. So my hot take is that I hate... Instagrammable restaurants, like the ones that have the backdrops and like the really, really pretty like setups. I feel like it's a scam. Like you're going in there just to take a picture of like a (laughs) glitter drink or like a really, and they're, I'm not saying they're not fun, but I feel like the food's not usually that good. The drinks are not actually that good. They just look good. Like I went to one when I was visiting a friend in San Diego. So I don't know if any San Diegoans are out there, but I'm not going to name the restaurant. I went to it. 
it was dirty. Like the pictures that I saw looked nice, but like the restaurant itself was dirty. The food was okay, but not like great. And so I feel like those types of things, I'm like, okay, what's the point of like just having pretty pictures if your food and like the space is like not actually that great? That's so interesting that they like, they put their resources towards making it very like photogenic and not towards someone actually having like a good IRL experience, you know? Right. Like I would so much rather go to a hole in the wall, like really rundown place if the food is so good. But that's also because I think I'm not a type of person who really cares much about like the Instagram photos. So if you are, that's totally okay. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. I've taken pictures of like, like when I was on vacation in Ireland, I was taking pictures of a lot of our meals and my husband was legitimately like hiding. Cause he's like, I am so embarrassed right now. Are you being that girl that like takes pictures? I'm like, I want to remember these meals. Yes. <laughs> so I try oh not gosh. to do it as often at home, but like, he was like so embarrassed. <laughs> I asked Jake about that. Cause like when we were traveling, I also took pictures of the meals and he was like, yeah, it's actually kind of annoying when you do it at home like just a meal that we normally eat, (laughs) but like when you're traveling, it's fine because like, this is an experience that you don't get to have again. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Dylan just likes, he doesn't want me to like keep him from digging into his food because I'll like take a a above the table picture. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. He's like, I've been, I know. He's like, I've been waiting for this waiter to bring me my food. I am not going to wait like 20 more seconds for you to get the perfect shot. I'm like, honestly, fair, fair. So what's your hot take? So my hot take is that the office is better than Parks and Rec. And don't at at me, everybody, because the office is just like my comfort show. Like I have it on all the time. I'm listening to Office Ladies podcast right now where they're going through episode by episode and like talking about the production and everything. Like, I don't know. I've probably watched the episode maybe 30 times through, which sounds like super embarrassing, but I feel like it's just like on in our house all the time. And I have seen Parks and Rec and I do love Amy Poehler. I love the whole cast, but like, I don't know. There's just like something yeah, that I feel like okay. is trying a little bit too hard. And it's a different type of humor. <laughs> I feel like the office is like very like deadpan, like cringy humor. Whereas Parks and Rec is like more like, I don't know. It's just like more standard, like sitcom humor. I don't know. I'm not a professional. (laughs) For people who love The Office and you guys probably know already, I have not watched The Office. Like I've watched little bits and pieces, but it's not my humor. But I feel like those people that do love The Office, it's like classic, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's one of those ones that just has always been there. My husband loves The Office. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just like, I think people who love it just love it the most. So I get why yes. that's your that's your hot take. It's like people from Colorado are really into Colorado. Like people from, I feel like Texas and Florida, like there are a couple states where it's like, if someone's from that state, they're like all about like telling you about everything. Mm. I am one of those people. I will raise my hand. But like, I will say like one thing, just get through season one of The Office and then like it just gets so much better and just so much more like likable. And I mean, there's yeah. only five episodes in the first season or six episodes. Oh, it's, I hated The Office when I first watched it. So if anyone's out there and they're like, I want to try watching The Office, 
just get through the first season and then like it just gets so much better. That's all I'll I say. That and was then we'll my move on. <laughs> I have another hot take for you. I feel like this is okay. your hot take. Your hot okay. take is that you love Florida because most people do not. <laughs> I know. Yeah. My hot take is that I love Florida. It's it was so funny. Like when I went, I went to college at Northwestern in Chicago. So there's that connection. But I got there and there was like no one else there from Florida for obvious reasons. And I had never seen snow before when I went to college. I saw snow for the very first time when I was 18 years old during my freshman year. And it just made me love Florida even more. (laughs) I realized I am not like a cold weather person whatsoever, obviously, because I didn't like grow up with that. Like it, it, I was honestly stunned that snowflakes were not bigger. Like I thought like you were, I didn't know that they were like microscopic basically. Like, and like, I don't know. I don't know like what was in my head, but I was very surprised that like, that's hilarious. I, know, I thought I would be able to like look at them at least like tiny on my hand or something, no, but like you can't see them. They melt right away. <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot. So there's my little moment from freshman year. But I ran outside in shorts, and my friends were like, "Jen, get back in here! It's freaking freezing outside. It's snowing." And I was like, "Snow angels!" And of course, there's like <laughs> no snow on the ground when it first snows. But after that moment, I was like, Mm-mm, "Can't be me." But I, I, I soldiered through and then I went to live in New York City for a year too. So yeah. And now you're back bad. for good. <laughs> like you're not going to be on the cold. I am. I am. Yeah. 100%. When I was a brand new mom, my business goals totally shifted. My new baby was priority number one, and I wanted to craft my business around the freedom and flexibility of my schedule while also supporting my family. It was really confusing. When I signed up for Design Biz Mastery, a group coaching program led by Morgan Rapp, I finally felt like I'd found the right fit. I continued growing my revenue while also getting my time back, and I actually began to love sales calls rather than dreading them. Morgan's been growing her family alongside her business over the last 10 years, and I really related to her focus on time freedom and profitability over vanity numbers. Design Biz Mastery has a signature blend of quick wins and sustainable slow builds, specific growth mindset and sales tactics, and it's the OG business course for designers who are ready to powerfully sell, confidently price, and productize an ecosystem of services to scale to peaceful 10 or 20K months without dragging timelines, frantically creating courses, or hiring an expensive team to get there. Grow your revenue and start taking Fridays off, like me, with Design Biz Mastery. Visit dbm.morganrap.com slash better. Morgan Rap is spelled M-O-R-G-A-N-R-A-P-P. To learn more, get a special bonus, and also receive access to a free training about Morgan's three-part framework, to peacefully scale your design business towards your first or next six figures on part-time hours. Okay, so hot takes on running a design business. I'm I'm so excited excited for this because I feel like this kind of like, in a way, comes off of our Never Have I Ever episode because we were talking mm-hmm. about things that like, yes, we still do those and whatever. But like, the, I love like sharing the non-traditional things that we do in our business. Just mm-hmm. to, if anything, to give you guys a little bit of like peace that knowing that like you're doing okay, you're, you're chilling. It's fine. You can do what you want to do. Yes. One of the questions that we get super often or the question formats that we get is, 
should I do X to be successful? Or should I, you know, respond to a client in this way? Or like, am I supposed to do X, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you guys have been listening for long enough, you know that our answer is always, well, do you want to do X? How does it feel to do X? Are you excited about X? You know, (laughs) rather than being like, yes, there is this way to do things. And I don't know, social media just clouds your brain with all of these coaches and, you know, people like shoulds. And not to say that coaching is bad. I mean, I'm a mentor. Like I have invested in coaching. It's been the best investment I've ever made in my business. But I feel like there's just so many differing perspectives and differing like paths to go down that I feel like it can be super, super overwhelming. So that's kind of where the topic of this episode came from. Because the only thing that we want for you guys is for you to feel empowered to choose the path that fits your version of success and your lifestyle, the way that you want to spend your days. I feel like both of those things are so intimately intertwined. And so we're just going to share things that we might do that might go against the grain a little bit. But if you disagree, then that's great. I think that everyone should have a little bit of a different way of approaching things. And you kind of just have to try things out to like figure out what works best. Yeah. And I think some of these hot takes too are like hot takes for one of us and might not be for the other too. So we'll just kind of like go through and see what we think and just have like a fun dialogue about it. Yeah. And there might be ones that we completely disagree with each other on. And like, I'm looking forward to that because that's kind of the whole point, you know? So, um, yeah. Awesome. We just have like this long, this like little bulleted list here and we can just go through and chit chat about them. Some of them we'll have yeah. more to say about than others and that'll be our episode. So, super yeah. chill. so the first one we have is that you can give as many rounds of revisions as you want. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, I wrote this one down because I was feeling really guilty if I had to give a client an additional round outside of the scope that we originally agreed on, if I felt like I had done everything that I could to do the brand strategy and do do the questionnaire and do the call and like the creative direction and everything. And I have had in very few circumstances, most of the time, the brand gets wrapped up within the allotted two or one, depending on if it's an intensive or a longer project, I have had to do a third round or more than that. And I was feeling really like bad about myself. Like, oh gosh, like I totally didn't, I did not hit the nail on the head with this one. Like the client just like wants an additional, or if it's like a tiny tweak or something that's technically a third round, I was like, no, that goes beyond two rounds. And like, you're only supposed to do two rounds, but I don't know. Recently, I've just been like, if the client wants to have another round, like I don't advertise this, but I will say to the client, hey, the scope of this project does include two rounds, but for you in this situation, like I'm happy to throw this one in at no additional charge. That way they know that they can't just keep asking for them and it protects against scope creep. But then it also like gives me the flexibility to be like, oh wait, they, they did suggest something that will make this brand better that I agree with. Like I want to extend this their way. I feel like it's a little bit different when the client is being a little combative or not yeah. or going away from the creative direction. So th- those are my thoughts. Give me yours. Yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of a balance there. Like it's a it's kind of a little dance with your client to kind of understand where it's okay to give extra. So I have 
in my contracts. And also I put it in my proposal just so that they know I do have a two round max technically, but do I ever really fully follow that? Not really. I try to do it as best as I can. Like in my notion portal, my client portal, I have these very specific, like, here's your first round, here's your second round. And that's helped me a lot because they see very clearly. But if there is like a little bit of addition, I'll likely just do it because I don't feel like it's, unless it's like, I completely hate this and you're restarting. That to me is way worth my time to get paid for it. So then I'll charge for an additional round. But again, I've never had to do that although I should have in a few instances, I do think there is not unlimited rounds of revisions, but it just depends on the exact thing. So like if they want to change up the colors just slightly, they want it to be a little bit more saturated. To me, that takes like not any time. So I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll do that. Or if they're like, oh, I just want all of the text to be like slightly bigger. Or like if it comes down to copywriting and they just want the text to flow a little bit better, then to me, that additional round is okay. But if it's a full, like whole page of all these revisions we're doing, that's when I'm like, all right, we need to rethink this a little bit. So yes, and. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of like a play it by ear, you know? And that's what I'm going to say about almost every single one of these is like, if you want to do it, if you don't want to, don't do it. But like, don't feel guilty about breaking your own rules. Like I kind of put that as a bullet on the next one. Is it like, as long as you have rules, I think that like it's well within your power to decide to break them and tell your client too, like, Hey, I don't usually do this, but for you, like I'm going to extend this your way because that makes them feel really seen and heard and like taken care of. And it allows you to still stick to your boundary of like, Hey, this is an exception to the rule, but I'm making an exception for you because of X, Y, Z reason. I think that's a great way to just provide good customer service to people. Yeah. Cause it's about, it's a relational relationship. There's like back and forth. You don't want to just be a dictator. You don't want to just say like exactly what's going to happen because it has to be collaborative. And I think that's where there's this balancing act of like how to enforce your boundaries, but also be gracious and be open and be willing to serve. And yeah, like you said, there's no right way to do it. And it kind of The one thing that I keep coming back to and reminding myself is like, okay, think about it in this way. Do you feel okay doing it? Like, are you going to dread it? Like, is this feeling like it fills you up? Are you like mentally doing all right? And if the answer is, yep, I'm doing good. This is fine. Like, I'll be fine. Then that's okay to keep going and not enforce like any late cancellation fees or anything like that. But if you're not feeling okay and you really do feel like you should get compensated, then ask for it because then you're just going to resent it if you don't. Yeah. I love that gut check. And that's one of the things I tell my one-to-one mentorship students about when pricing proposals. What do you feel like in your gut when you see that number with those deliverables? Are you feeling already burned out? Like, are you feeling like you're dreading the beginning of this project? Like, do you, are you like, oh, this is going to take forever or this is not enough time or whatever it is. It's like bump it up a thousand dollars, you know, like you have to intuitively price sometimes. I mean, maybe not have to, but like you can use your intuition to look at something. You're like, does this feel 
like it's valuable for me? Is this going to compensate me for the number of hours that I'm going to take? And I think that this applies to all of these also. Yeah, exactly. The next one we have here is, I feel like it kind of relates to what we were talking about is that you don't always have to enforce late or cancel fees if you don't want to. And I wrote here that it's good to have in your contract, but you definitely do not have to force a client to pay if you want to extend grace to them or if there's some sort of like extenuating circumstance that is causing the project to either have to pause for a long period of time or to have to be canceled. And I actually have a story that I want to share with you guys about something like this that happened to me last year with a brand and Shopify project. My client was going through a pretty nasty divorce where she did not feel safe in her home. And she had to go and change living situations, which involved her moving hours away. There was a custody battle over her child. It was just like... She was like, I cannot be involved in the project right now when there are other more priorities in my life. And I was like, oh my goodness, of course. Like, take all the time you need. Like, I want you to be safe. Like, this can come back when when you want it to. And I feel like that's something that like you should quote unquote charge a reschedule fee for because you don't know how busy you'll be later on. We took probably a four or five month break. And then I came back and just finished up her project in the fall. I was a little overbooked at the time. And so like, it would have been great to charge a fee. But like in that circumstance, I was like, I am not charging this poor woman a fee. Like we were, we were good friends by that time because we'd been working together for a while. And, you know, I just really wanted her to be able to work on the project with me from a place of personal safety, like at the minimum, you know? And we we came back together and, you know, once she was on her feet again and, and feeling good, like physically, mentally, like we finished the project and launched and it's it's amazing and she's doing great now. So I think that those situations, you really have to decide like in your gut what feels good, you know? And it's hard when the pause has to come out of some sort of like tragic situation like that. Yeah. I think that's important to hear too. Like if there is something going on, I always tell my clients, I have this in my contract and in my proposal too. If there's something that comes up, just let me know. Like, let me know what's happening in your life, what's happening in your business. If something crazy happens, like an act of God, like, yeah, I'm willing to work with that. But if it's somebody who maybe they could be going through that, but they just don't tell you until five months later. That really yeah. grinds my gears a bit. Yeah. I'm like, that's okay, I'm sorry. Different. Like, I totally understand you're going through that, but you did not let me know. And so therefore we do need to charge for it. But to your point, like, I think there is an ability to choose when you want to enforce things and it doesn't have to be right away. It doesn't have to even happen at all. But if it's the client like not getting you assets on time because they just like don't have their stuff together, like I feel like that's a good situation to be like, hey, I want you to be able to avoid this late fee. If you can get your copy to me by end of day tomorrow, I'll waive it. And then if they like don't do it, then that's a great opportunity to charge a late fee because like you gave them a lot of advance notice. It wasn't just hidden in your contract. You notified them, you gave them a good opportunity to do things. And, you know, if everyone's okay and they just didn't get to it, then it's like, you know, you have to respect your time. And I think that's a good situation to charge a late fee. I also think of it in not a mean way. You're not charging them a fee to just 
charge them a fee. It's not a greedy way of like, oh, I just want that extra money, so I'm going to charge them a fee. No, it's actually a punishment. And I say that in not like a parental way or like our traditional sense of punishment, but it's a punishment in that you have to get docked a little bit if you don't follow these certain guidelines. That's kind of being an adult, being a responsible human being and like respecting other people's time. So the punishment comes out of like, oh, yep, you you didn't like treat me the way that I need to be treated. And therefore next time there won't be that happening again. Right, because you have other projects going on. Like we, we're booking other things. Even if you don't have projects lined up, you still need to be able to give prospective clients accurate start date, you know, start dates for their next project. Yeah. And so you can't do that if you don't know when the other project's going to wrap up. Have you ever charged somebody a late fee on a payment? Like you've already finished a project or whatever and they just haven't paid? No, I never have because I have actually never had a situation, and this is like very rare, <laughs> where a client has not paid their invoice. I was going to say the same thing for me. I don't think I've ever had a client not pay. Like I've had to remind people a couple of times, but usually it's like, oh my goodness, I missed this. I'm going to pay it right away. And then they just pay it. Yeah. So I've never had to incur a late fee. I think I've had like clients be late like a weekly and I'm like, it's not that big of a deal for me. Yeah. I've never had anything like too late where I'm physically like worrying about the money coming in. Mm-hmm. I was just curious if you had, because I know some people have a lot of issues with that. I've heard a lot of stories. Yeah. I require my people to pay their 50% upfront before the project starts and then the 50% before I provide them with any assets. So that's always the incentive of like, you don't get your stuff until it's paid. So I've never had any issue with it either. Yeah. I usually do... uh, I've just been doing monthly if it takes six weeks, then it'll be like the Friday uh, after I send the proposal, that's the deposit. And then whatever the first of the next month is, even if it's a month away from the end of the project, I just like having the project being paid in full prior to wrapping anything up. Um, And I've never had anyone push back on that. I think clients like having, knowing that their payment is always going to be due at the beginning of the month, just because like that's when their rent is due. That's when their other bills are due. I feel like it's just easy for people. Yeah. Do you believe that you can show multiple directions or concepts to a client if you want to? Yes, I definitely think that you can break the one concept method rule if you want to, as long as you go about it in a way that informs the client from the beginning what your intentions are, or if you have set out the one concept method in the beginning and then you're really torn between two directions and you want to show both to the client and you feel like you have a good relationship with them, you don't feel like that will put a burden on them to choose or anything like that, I think it's totally okay to be like, you know what? I do the one concept method. So I'm saying, hey, here's the boundary. But this is an exception. I actually have two different concepts or two different mood boards or two different color palettes or whatever that looks like for you. And I can't decide between them because I like them both for different reasons. Here's my rationale on option A. Here's my rationale on option B. We make a little Loom video for them. Shoot it over via email. That's usually what I do. And I'll say, what is your gut telling you? And are you leaning towards one direction or the other? Because I like both. One thing I will never do is I will never send anything that I don't like, hoping that the client will pick something else. And we talked about this in our one concept method episode. 
which you can go back and listen to um, from season five. But yeah, I think it's totally okay to, to show multiple concepts, even if you originally told the client that you were going to do the one concept method. What I think you should avoid is if you told the client you were going to do multiple concepts and then switching to the one concept method in the middle, yeah, that's probably fair. Stick not to what the you best say. move. Stick yeah. to what you say. I have a counter hot take. I actually okay. think that, I mean, I am a huge advocate of the one concept method and I'm not going to like be mad at you if you use multiple because I know a lot of big agencies do that as well. Like agencies that I was part of did a lot of different concepts. So there's nothing wrong with using that, but I personally am a huge advocate of the one concept method. And I don't think that showing people two different options is a great idea because generally from my experience, they like different aspects of different things. So then you end up creating a third concept that's merging the two. And then you have this Frankenstein Mm -hmm. at the end and (laughs) it's not like what you envisioned at all. And it ends up not being as good as either one of those options. So my thought on that is that you may have two options, but internally your gut knows which one is better and which one is more aligned to the client. So that's my thought. And I know like you, again, like we said, you can do whatever you want, but I think that there's value in like your own intuition and you are hired as the designer for a reason. You have the skill set and the mind to be able to choose. And you can like go to your designer friends and ask them for opinions on the two different concepts. But I think that presenting a client with one and really showcasing like this is the best solution for you is the best option. You know, I agree with that. I agree with that. So it's like, I feel like, I think it's, it depends on the circumstance, (laughs) you know, like I think that most of the time, like, I don't want to say like, you're right. (laughs) Um, I want to say like most of the time, the one concept method rules, but I don't know. I just like, I have heard about people doing multiple mood boards. I don't really do this that often but I have heard about people doing multiple different mood boards, but I don't know. I like what you said that like, show it to your designer friends first. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I what used is to do multiple saying? mood boards. <laughs> I used to do multiple concepts if I just didn't have the right one or felt like I didn't have the right one. Yeah. I just, from my learnings, it doesn't pan out how I want it to. They right. don't actually choose one or the other. I like that. Hey, this is good. This is good. This is our hot takes episode. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. We can awesome. have different opinions too. I'm curious what you guys yeah. think. If you have, I know. I want to know if you guys opinions. agree or disagree. I know a lot or... of people are not in the one concept method camp, so that's okay too. I just love it. Yeah, we love it. Go back and listen to our. We have two different one concept method episodes. It's not less work. It's actually, I would say, the same amount of work. You just have to be yeah. more confident in yourself. Yes. Maybe when you're starting out. That's where you can be a little bit more flexible with the one concept method. And especially if you're still honing your creative intuition and you do want to have the client's input. But just like Esther said, like for, you know, a little bit further on in our design journeys. And once you're like, no, I feel like I can relate to my intuition a little bit more. I can feel those intuitive nudges. Then like maybe you do that a little bit less. Yeah. Trial and error. Test it out. Yeah. Report back, please. Yes. Okay. Next hot take. You can show your client your art boards or even design live for them on a call if you feel like they'd be open to that and not overwhelmed. I am curious to hear your initial gut reaction to this, Esther, because I think I've talked about this a little bit before. Yeah, you've talked about this. I do. I do this. So that's my hot take. So you may disagree with me. 
I disagree. I think that <laughs> it overwhelms the client and it overwhelms me. I like to be in my own headspace. I like to have the time that I need to like think through things. So I really don't feel comfortable sharing my artboard with a client, especially because they might see something that they like, but like that was actually something that I worked on a while back. And that's not actually something I want to share. It kind of, to me, goes to the, you don't share anything that you don't actually like. And an artboard Mm -hmm. is a sacred space. It's like your digital sketch pad. And I personally would not open that up. Also, because like I was saying that it overwhelms the client, I think that they don't know what's happening. And so we as designers can move pretty quickly too in an artboard as well. And then they're like, wait, what happened? Where'd that go? What happened there? And like, can you try this? And can you try that? And it gets to be like, okay, chill out. You don't actually (laughs) know what you're thinking. And I say this from like, I've never actually done that, but internally I feel really anxious (laughs) thinking about sharing my artboard. But I know you have done that and it worked well for you. So I'd love to hear more about like, what your experience was and why you feel like you would want to continue that in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to not, it's not part of my regular process. This is kind of one of those extenuating circumstances situations where the client just like wasn't vibing with like the concept that I was showing them. And I just felt like better about getting on a call. Like I'm, I'm definitely a hop on the call type of person as much as I'm like, Oh, I want to keep my schedule really clean and not have a lot of calls. I feel like in those types of situations, I'm like, we need to talk face to face. Like, I just like want to talk with you and, you know, maybe go and review the mood board and stuff like that. I might not show them like the whole mood board and then like zoom in on one specific spot. I'll just like have one section of it where I'm like, Hey, here's some like different directions that I'm thinking. And like, what do you think of this border versus this border? Like maybe getting a little bit more granular with it. That's what I did. You know, when I did show like my artboards to the client, like on a live call, I was like, and I also asked her permission first. I said, Hey, like one thing that I think might help here. Cause we were kind of going back and forth, I was sketching on my sketch pad and like showing her on like the video. And I was like, would you mind if I opened up my artboards and like you took a peek into that? Like, would you find that really overwhelming or would you find that fun? And she was I'm a fine artist. Her. So she was that's a creative, cool. like, okay, Jen, that's a different situation. <laughs> I know <laughs> I should have opened with that, but like, yeah. I don't know I work with a lot of creative service-based businesses, like interior designers, fine artists, Like I just, I was telling Esther earlier, I just had a consultation with like a florist. Like I feel like they're, they have good understanding of color theory already. Like they work in the creative fields. Like they understand like mood boards and presentations. And I don't know. I just feel like they get it. Like if I was working with like a finance expert, probably wouldn't be opening up my mood boards for them. (laughs) So read the room, read the room. Okay. See, that's where (laughs) I think I was going of like, my clients don't tend to be other creatives, unless like I've worked with videographers a lot or like video studios and that's different, but I don't know if it's like a creative that might change it a little bit. Sometimes creatives are harder to work with. No, I think for me, I still would say no. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. My MO would be to ask some really hard hitting questions of why do you feel like this does not fit? Like Is there other styles that you are hoping to explore and then kind of see from there? Because if they say like, well, I want it to be chunky and I want it to be bold, but also I really want it to be like minimal. And it's like, okay, wait, there's all these different ideas. And if we were on my live artboard, it would just, there'd be too much happening. 
And also I think I like to take some time to like think through what they're, what they had vocally said and then compile my thoughts together. But again, to your point, I think it depends. Yeah. This is a good hot take though. It is. Yeah. No, I'm glad that like we have different perspectives too, because like this is not the Jen show or the Esther show. And and even if you, if you guys are sitting here listening, like, I can't believe that Jen would open up her artboards. What is that girl doing? Like, that's fine. You know, like I was saying, don't at me earlier on, but if you want to DM me, you can totally DM me. We can <laughs> chat about it. We can do in the Facebook group too. That would be fun to like, yeah. you know, post some hot takes and see what people agree and disagree kindly. Well, also, <laughs> here's like a thought that I just had too. It's kind of like, and I'm not like, saying that you are a caricature artist, but you know how like a caricature (laughs) artist, they'll sit on the side and like, they'll be doing it live so people can actually see what's happening. Mm -hmm. When that goes on though, the person who's getting drawn or the person who's receiving the services don't get like a say on what's happening. So so you're getting live. Here's what's going on. So there's a difference there of like your client actually gets feedback, but people do do stuff live and it's okay. But I also think like when you were saying that I akin it to if I was working on a website and like, I just pulled up the, open the code and was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change the background. We're going to like move things around. And like doing that live would be so stressful. Right. Because like, what if, what if you like, I don't know. We had our live Figma call with Leia (laughs) and she was a little bit like, oh, it's hard to do this in front of a hundred people. So I think that it's up to you. Yes. <laughs> do what you want. I don't think there's anything wrong with you doing it. I just don't want to do it. No, that is totally okay. Same for you guys. Okay. Next hot take is that you don't have to outsource development. You can partner with developers side by side. You can hand off a project to a developer. So literal two completely separate projects. The client has two contracts, two invoices, or you can develop yourself. And this one's a little bit less of a hot take and more of a like permission slip for you guys, because I feel like, I don't know, in the agency world, there's definitely like devoted web designers and like UX strategists and like, it's very segmented, but I feel like as you get smaller and smaller into more of the boutique space, like me and Esther and probably a lot of you guys listening, I feel like you can kind of break those rules and make them look however you want. And I know that Esther and I do things differently. You guys know that Esther loves to code and has a lot more coding skills than I do. I do not love to code and I have experimented with how to, I don't know, do to how to offer website development services when it's not a service that like I really love or am very good at. So I have subcontracted developers, which has worked out great. And one thing that I'm experimenting with literally right now, I have an active project right now. I am partnering with my friend, Jen from Genuine Creative. She's a Shopify developer and I did the branding and I'm currently working on the website design in Figma. And my client has a separate contract with Jen in her studio where Jen is going to be taking my mock-ups and developing them out. Mm. That way, the client gets to interface directly with the developer for the development portion of the process. And Jen gets to use her own process for asset collection and organization and tracking the different client phases and launch and doing videos and trainings and stuff like that. I get to stay in my zone of genius. Jen gets to stay in her zone of genius and the client gets both of us. We just split the project 50-50. We're doing two separate contracts, two separate invoices. And I could not feel better about handling things that way. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I was like, I like that. 
it just feels better because then like I'm not like under stress if something breaks and I don't know how to fix it, you know, right. but that's what Jen does. Like she is, she can get into liquid. She can write code. Like she knows what's going on. She could also do the brand design and the web design because she's just so multi-talented, but I don't know. It just like, it feels like I kind of have a little bit of a dream team going and like we're, we're CC'd on multiple emails. We get on co-calls together. We're having like a web development handoff call with the client, with the three of us. So I've just been really liking experimenting with that. And you guys know that I do development on show it myself as well, which I like because then I can get really intricate with the spacing and I don't have to like pepper a developer with feedback. (laughs) Yeah. I had actually not heard of that style or that format before. And it's really intriguing to me. I, I mean, I fully agree with this statement that you can outsource in whatever way you want for development. And like for me, I have a developer that I use, I contract him. So I don't do what you do, but maybe that could be interesting in the future for him. Yeah. It is more complex projects that I feel like are outside the realm of your capabilities because I feel like you subcontract, like you could do it yourself. But like, it's just nice to have the support of someone. Maybe he can do it faster. Maybe he has different ideas about how to structure certain pieces of code. But I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah. But I also like the point where you said you can develop it yourself if you want to. So that's something that I've been leaning into as well of I have my developer and he is amazing and incredible and he's fast and he is efficient and he like sets things up really well. But sometimes I just want to do it myself, especially for like the projects that are less intensive. Because I feel like when I don't do a project in a while, I lose some of that like agility. And it's like, if you don't speak a language for a while, you lose it a little bit. So I like to do it probably like one third of the time. I like that. And I like the the language metaphor because that's what coding feels. I was never really it that is. great at it's learning a whole language. language. That's like, why they called it, it coding language. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I took French in high school and it was a struggle. I just, I don't know. I love English so much. Like I just, I like being able to write. And I mean, I got a journalism degree. Like it was always so frustrating to me, like not being able to have like the full vocabulary that I wanted to use. So maybe there's something there. Maybe that's why I don't really enjoy development or coding. But I mean, that's like another hot take is that like to run a successful design studio, you don't have to know how to code. You don't have to have both of those skills. There are lots of ways to be able to offer website development to clients at a high level and decide that you just want to stay on the design side of things. Or you can you don't even have to you don't even have to offer website at all. You don't. You You can just say that's not my expertise. And even if you don't know anybody specifically to do website design, well, you know too. You know us too. But if you (laughs) if you don't know anybody I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's okay. Like you can just say, hey, that's not my expertise, like, I hope you can find somebody to work with you for that. And I'm happy to Mm -hmm. like collaborate with them if you find somebody. I've seen a lot of designer developer search threads in groups where people are saying, I love brand design. I don't love web design. Is there anyone else that feels like they have a similar style to me that might want to be a referral partner? And the other way around, I love web design, hate brand design. And there are other, are there brand designers out there? That's a great way to just kind of decide to offer one service. If one of the other ones just really isn't feeling good. Yeah. Do you use your own personal preference in your own brand identity and when you use it for clients as well? 
Yeah. So I think, so this is a hot take and maybe people will be mad about this, but that's what this episode is about. A lot of like creative direction and feedback is to take personal preference out of the process and only have the brand be based off of the creative brief or the strategy. I say this as someone who niches by design style and that every brand that I design, I have to also like, and that's part of, I feel like what the client is paying me for is for my design style and my taste and my aesthetic. And so by looking at my website or my portfolio, they have a generally good understanding of what they might get by working with me. And so this works for me because like, I will tell clients like, Hey, when you're giving feedback, please give me, you know, rationale that's connected back to the creative direction or back to the brand strategy. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to design something for you that you don't like and that I don't like. So I feel like personal preference does come in kind of as a secondary thought, whereas sometimes clients want to make it the primary thought like, oh, I want it to be pink because I like pink. And then like, I'll push back on that. But at the end of the day, like if I'm, if the client has completely different personal preferences from what I feel like is good for the creative breathe, like I will push back on that. Does that make sense? I feel like that's kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that it's totally okay to have your own thing and kind of work with the client to see what works best. But a lot of people do niche by style and have your own unique spin on things. So there's nothing wrong with infusing your style. That's the whole purpose of niching by style and having like what your expertise is and what you are really good at. So I totally love that. I think there's a, there is a balance of what is going to be good for the client and what's going to be good for their industry. But also it sounds like for you, you work with a lot of industries that are aligned to you anyway. So you're not working with Like for me, I work with some nonprofits who that's not my personal design style, but I need to look at it in a way where what's going to actually move the needle for them and be able to serve the communities that they're serving. Or for example, when I worked in advertising too, we were working with companies that are like your household names that you just can't do a fun, like I love floral designs and like illustrations and you can't always do that. but. It's okay too when sometimes I do have clients that more align to my style and then I'm going to spin it in the way that I like. So it is a balance there. Okay. So another hot take is that it's okay to offer only logo design and, or it's okay to not offer full brand strategy, or it's okay to sell X service at X price point. I mean, going back to just the only logo design, I feel like I see a lot of content from designers around, this is why we don't offer just a logo. And I have so much respect for that. Like I love doing full brand identities. I love doing full strategies. Like I like my brand identities to be informed by the full strategy and the messaging and all that creative direction stuff. But recently I've just been feeling like if I have a client come to me and they're a lower budget client. And they're like, look, I love your design style. I don't want to use a template. Like I have the money, but I don't need like a full brand identity. What's going to move the needle most for me in my business is just a new logo design and like a new color palette. Like before I'd be like, oh, well you can only work with me if you do like a full, you know, a full brand identity. I mean, I wouldn't say it like that, but like, I would be like, oh, I'm sorry. I only offer like full you know, packages. But now I've just been like, 
heck yeah, let's do that. Let's do that in like a one or a two day intensive, like crafting it to be profitable for, you know, however many deliverables there are, but like I will a thousand percent do a single logo for someone if that's what their business needs. I agree with that. And if we can make the price work and the timeline, what are your thoughts? I think that's totally fair. I think there's a lot of different ways where you can structure your business in the way that you want to and be able to connect with people and help them in the way that is going to work best for them. I think that's totally fine. I also think that it's fine to not offer brand strategy too. Like if that's not your wheelhouse, you don't have to go as deep as some people do because that's what their expertise level is and what they want to do. Just do what you feel like is right in each certain circumstance. I know for me, sometimes I do a full branding and sometimes I do like a light branding and it just depends on what I feel like is going to be beneficial for the client, what they want to spend their time on. And so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with playing and like changing things up as you go too. I think that's a big key thing to take away from any of our conversations is that as you grow as a brand designer, web designer, just a studio owner, you get to make changes in how you present yourself. You get to make changes in how you price your things and your services and Maybe later on, Jen will be like, nah, I'm done with doing logos one-off. And that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with doing one-off things in the same vein as there's nothing wrong with pricing hourly. I just don't recommend it. It's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing all of that. It's just not what I want to do. Right. And I priced a lot of hourly projects in the very, very early days. I mean, pre-business before I was even a brand and web design studio and I was doing freelance design. I charge everything hourly. That's the only thing that I ever knew. I think I did a logo for someone like way, way, way back in the day before I even went to college. And I priced them like my like minimum wage that I got paid at like the local clothing store that I got paid. (laughs) I like just charged them that. I was like, is this okay? Like, and they were like, like, oh, we're going to pay you more than that. Like (laughs) they were like, we'll pay you $200. I was like trying to charge them like $50 or something. (laughs) But that's okay. I mean, that's where I was. I was a high school student. I didn't know what was going on, you know? Like, so it's like, I think it's good to go back and look and be like, you know what? I did that. And that's not right for me right now, but that might be right for you right now. That might, like me doing a one-off logos might not be right, like you said, for me five years in the future. Just like right now, having a full-time team doesn't feel right for me right now. But that that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that like, I don't want that for the future or that I don't think that's really cool when other people do it. So yeah. Do you think that your pricing can be part of your positioning? Yes. I do. This is another hot take is that I do think that your pricing can be part of your positioning. I don't always believe that clients always want to go with the cheapest like quote that they get. Like if I have clients who are looking at other designers, sometimes they're price shopping and they'll just go with the cheapest option. Like I've had clients tell me on calls, well, I got quoted for the same deliverables at a cheaper price. And in those situations, I just say like, okay, you should go with the other designer because that, you know, what I quoted, like, I'm not trying to like pull one over on them by like charging a higher amount just to see if they'll say yes. You know, like that is legitimately the price for the deliverables that I say. And I can always remove the deliverables and go down in price or add and go up in price. But I just had a conversation with a prospective client where she was saying, I'm talking with other designers, but I'm not price shopping. 
I am looking for the right fit personally and style wise. And, you know, this other designer quoted me, I think she said 1500 and I quoted her higher than that. And she said, you know what? Like she didn't give me like a, yes, I'm going to book with you or no, I'm not going to book with you. Cause I still think she has some other conversations, but I was like, I'm so glad that you're talking to other people because I want you to find someone who fits with, with you. And she was like, okay, well this other designer that quoted me 1400, like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right fit. Like I think it might be a solution that's like a temporary solution, but I feel like if I want to make the investment, like I want to make it for the long term. And so I'm probably, I would probably just wait rather than investing that price just because it just didn't feel like the right fit. So I say all this to encourage anyone out there who's thinking that like, oh, if I raise my prices, then clients will just choose people who have cheaper pricing. And that's not always true. That's what I mean when I say pricing can be part of your positioning is that like, this is a premium service. People know there's like, it's like a piece of it that goes into the way that people think about you, your brand. It's like, if your prices are higher then they, you know, will, I don't want to say they will assume, but there's a piece of them that's like, okay, this is going to be a little bit of a higher quality service. Maybe this person has more experience. Maybe they're going to have a better client experience. Like maybe I'm going to get a solution that I'm not going to have to redo in a couple of years, you know? So that was a roundabout way of saying that, but what are your thoughts? No, I totally agree with all of that. I think to your point, going into the conversation and just sharing with them your value and your pricing in a way that's just very clear and concise. And this is a matter of fact of what it is. That is really valuable because at the end of the day, we do want what's best for our clients. At least I know Jen and I do. <laughs> like, I think that we want them to have the best output. We want them to also like know that they're financially stable enough to pay certain amounts and they want to invest in their future. And so if they don't want to financially spend the amount that we are charging, then they can go elsewhere and that's okay. And I think sometimes that's hard to remember and feel because even a couple of weeks ago, I had a client call that I thought was so good and I quoted my price and she went another way and I was talking to Jen about it and Jen was like, well, that's okay. At least you know that your messaging is hitting the right kind of people and they're inquiring about you. And at the end of the day, like if they're going to price drop, they're going to price drop. And it sucks to feel because you think, oh, if I had just gone down by a couple thousand, then like they would have booked me. But at the end of the day, like, would you actually be happy with that? Not really. I would have felt like, ugh. I should have just gone with what I wanted. Yeah. It's like more valuable for you not to take the project on than to bring your price down. That's not always the situation. Sometimes you need cash through the door like yesterday to pay bills. And like, I think, I mean, that's another hot take is that like, you want to lower your prices because you need to like make a sale. I think that's okay. No one knows what you're going through. And so like, I just, I never want anyone to feel guilty or shameful about like charging less. Like, yes, you need to eat, you need to pay your bills, you know? So we should all be encouraging each other to charge what feels profitable and valuable for ourselves. But, you know, I think for this situation, it's like you, your time is going to be spent better, like having other discovery calls or 
working on other projects or pouring into your business or other things that you have going on, you know? So, okay. So our last hot take is that it is okay to not offer day rates or intensives if they don't really jive with your energy or your schedule or your lifestyle. This has been a conversation I've seen amongst designers recently where I know day rates are really hot topics and very popular and people talk about them a lot and they're so profitable. But I know some designers who just talk about them like, you know what, day rates just really stress me out and they just don't work with like my like ideal work day. Like I can't focus for that long. I am one of those people. My full day rates are only six hours and I'm very upfront with my clients about that. I get started really early in the morning and then I'm still able to wrap up by 2 p.m., which is like my cutoff for work time because that's usually when writers wake up from his nap and afternoon is mommy time. But I think it's totally okay to be like, you know what? That's for someone else, but I do not offer day rates. And I would prefer to just, you know, do a flat fee and then work on something over the course of a few weeks, especially depending on the life stage or what your schedule looks like. I think it would be pretty terrible if we were on this podcast and we said, you have to offer day rates. And <laughs> I know. So this is less of a like, hot you take and more of another this, permission this slip. This. <laughs> yeah. I think that you can do it if you want to, if you want to test it out. I've tested out. I don't particularly love them, but I don't hate them. Like I will still offer them if it feels right for the project, but they do take a lot of energy out of you. So by the end of the day, I need a whole day after that to fully rest. And so essentially you're spending two of your days. So it kind of is up to you how you want to play with it and see if it works for you. There's nothing wrong with offering them and there's nothing wrong with not offering them. If a client comes to you and wants that, then you can always send them to somebody else who does do that. You also can play with the way that you do it. Like Jen has her six-hour days. You could do a two-day intensive. You could do a week or two weeks. And that tends to be a little bit shorter than some of... I mean, my projects tend to last like around six weeks, give or take. So it really depends on what you're offering and what you feel like you're able to do. I think this also goes back to like, if you're going to offer a logo design, like potentially you could do that in a day. But if you're doing a full branding, you might not be able to because you want to sit and think through things. Basically, this entire episode is like, do it if you want to, and then don't do it if you don't want to, which is literally the theme of every single episode that we do for you guys. But yeah, I'd love to know if you guys have any specific hot takes on either what we've shared or if you have other hot takes that you personally implement in your business, just share with us on the Facebook group. You can be part of that facebook.com slash better brand designer. And there's lots of people who would love to chat with you and hear those hot takes and kind of have a little friendly, kind debate about them. Keywords are friendly and kind. We keep our Facebook group very, very positive. (laughs) It's all about building each other up. That's why it's fun to do hot takes. That's why it's hot takes and not my way or the highway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like you even heard, like Jen and I have some differing opinions, but we can at least like discuss them and see where we are each coming from. Because I respect Jen, like the way that you run your business. I think it's incredible. And the feeling is mutual. Yeah, thank you. I also respect the way I run my business, so there's nothing wrong with either. Right.
Okay, so let's do our inbox question. This one is a little bit of a longer question. So I'll go ahead and read it out. And then either of us, we can kind of pop in and and answer. Shelby Delbridge asks, I'm trying to get my brand design packages set up and priced. And I see lots of different packages and pricing examples. But I'm curious, as someone who could potentially offer a lot of additional services in a brand identity package, how do you decide what services or deliverables work best in one package compared to another? Or if you do it based off of client and project needs, how do you market your services without including package details or price on your website? This is a great question. And I have some thoughts there. I think that what I do is I do it based on client and project needs. So you're hopping on a discovery call and asking them all the nitty gritty of like, what's going to move the needle in their business? What's going to be beneficial for them? Suggesting some options of like, Hey, are, do you need this, this, and this? Do you think this would be valuable for you? For example, some clients want like printed goods. They want business cards. They want like letterhead or they want stationary thank you cards. But some people are like, nah, that's not really for me. So you don't include any type of collateral in their package. I would recommend having an outline in your journal or a notes in your dashboard or whatever you use, writing down all of the list of the things that you do just so that you can have that in your head, maybe brain dump them onto paper and then go into a conversation and have a dialogue with your client about what's going to really be beneficial for them. And then to that point, I don't create packages because I feel like if you're going into it and sharing a specific, here's my brand identity one package, here's my brand identity two package, there is always always, always going to be certain things that clients are like, I don't need that. I don't need that. And then you end up having to switch your pricing up because they want to cut things out or add to it. And so when you get to the question about how do you market your services without including all of those package details or the price, I think you say, I offer brand design or website design, whatever it is. And we have upsells or we have certain, you don't have to name them upsells, but we have add-ons that you can include and that's including different collateral. So I would always just use the word collateral as these are random things that you can add on depending on what you need. If you need an email header, if you need yada, yada, yada. What do you think, Jen? I completely agree. And one thing that I've been playing around with recently is having so I have like an internal notion database that ha- it's like a little chart for non-Notion users, love Notion, shout out to Notion, that has all of my offer suite. And I have ranges, not set package prices, because it's kind of like a base package. And then they can, like people can tweak or like add on or remove, like for website, like copywriting, for example, some clients need copy, sometimes don't need copy. Copy makes a project more expensive. So it'll put that cost at the higher end of the range. Whereas if you don't need copy, the opposite is true. So I've liked having that open while I'm on sales calls. I don't ever share that with the client, but during the sales call, I usually will, you know, be able to tell based off of the questions that I ask the client, based off of the project needs, because I do the same thing that Esther does, what packages would be good fits for them. And then I run through some of those, you know, I I call them packages, but I say we can customize these depending on your budget and your needs. So it's kind of a good way to quickly breeze through deliverables and not spend too much time on those so that they can read through them later on the proposal. 
But as far as answering your question about website, like how do you market your services? I've really been enjoying doing capabilities on my services page rather than these are my packages because not every client is going to fit into a package, just like Esther said. So I'll have like web design capabilities are, you know, web mockups, web development. So within my capabilities on my website, you guys can all go to my website right now and see the way that I lay things out. It's hellojunecreative.co slash services. Just has like, you know, maybe just a couple things within each category under brand design, web design, um, I think copywriting as well. Like I'll do brand messaging. I'll do, you know, I can offer like blog post writing through my copywriter that I white label for. But then that allows a client to see like, oh, here are the different things that they can do. And then I make it very, very clear in my messaging and my FAQ and in my response, my inquiry response email that we do put together custom packages based off of the client project needs, just like Esther said. Yeah. Another thing that I think would be a good exercise for you, Shelby, or any other listener who is curious about this would be to, like I said, write down every single item that you could potentially do. Write down also the bottom price that you would be willing to do that for. And then next to that, write down the price that you actually want to be doing that for. So for example, if it's, I like to say business card because I feel like that's easy. So if you feel like a business card is going to be maybe say $50 for like your standard business card, then I would feel comfortable like selling it actually at 150 and then you can have like those two ranges. So when I go onto a sales call, which we'll talk more about like these in future episodes as well, but then you can have like, okay, if I like mentally add together all the numbers while I'm on the call, then you can say your package is going to be around 3,000 to 4,000. I need to crunch the numbers and kind of get back to you. Then you can go back and go through all the numbers and see like what's going to actually fit together. And again, create the custom package. And another thing that my advice would be is don't actually outline exactly like line by line for the client. I say give them then a custom package of $4,250. That's your custom package and you get XYZ and you list out the deliverables, but not like, oh, this is $300, this is $400, this is $1,000. Don't like separate it out because then they're going to see you as just transactional as opposed to like the expertise and compiling it together. Right, because once you've done the brand identity, it doesn't take as much time to do the business card. But if someone was like, actually nix the brand identity, I just want the business card, that would be a higher investment because you need to probably do some logo tweaks. You got to like figure out right. the typefaces, you know? So in combination together, that's why I like to do all together. I do not line item anything out because I cannot actually put a price on those items because yeah. removing one from the package like might make it more difficult for me to do another one. Like if I do a, a welcome guide and then there's going to be like a pamphlet or some sort of other type of printed collateral, like I'm still going to have to do the design and InDesign first, and then I wouldn't be able to use what I'd already created. So I don't know. I could go way, we could go way yes. further into it, but there's, it's just a, it's a full package price. <laughs> and also we are going to be doing an episode on your sales and proposal process. So that would be a good one to listen to because there's a lot of thoughts on like how to structure that and make certain packages or your whatever kits that you're putting together for your clients be more appealing than others. 
and really hitting into that sales psychology a little bit in a sales psychology has like, it's a little bit loaded, but you're not trying to scam people. You're just trying to like get what you want in a respectful way. Optimize and be human first and be authentic and all of those things. Yeah. So keep an eye out for the sales and proposal episode because that one will be really good. Yes. Amazing. Okay. This was a really, really fun one. I'm excited for you guys to hear. I'm like, yeah, I want to say, I like, I'm, I'm not fun. nervous at all, but like, <laughs> I'm like a little nervous to hear about, like, for people to hear my hot takes. But um, like Esther said, we're curious about your hot takes. Go on our Instagram post this week and go and comment those and have a friendly discussion in our Facebook group. Yeah. Before we hop off, I just wanted to remind you guys that we have an event coming up. We have our Patreon-only live quarterly Q&A call that's coming up on September 12th, 11 a.m. Eastern, and we'd love to have you guys there. This is a great place to, I mean, you can ask us about our hot takes. You can also ask us any random thing. You just have to become a patron to get that link and We just love getting to meet with our patrons. Right now, it's still a small group, so we love having our intimate time together to get to know you guys and really hear from you and what you're going through. And you already know so much about us. Like We don't want to talk about ourselves during this. We just really want to hear what's going on in your life and how we can support you. So you can become a patron at patreon.com backslash betterpodcast. And we'd love to see you there. Again, that's September 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, just a reminder, you do need to be a $10 patron to get this link. So if you're not quite up to doing the $10, that's okay. You can still be a patron and you can click one of our lower end tiers. And there's still lots of amazing perks that you get from that. But to be in this Patreon-only quarterly call, it is the $10 status. Amazing. We can't wait to see you guys there. Thanks for sticking around with us today and we will see you guys next week. Bye guys. See you guys. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too. So share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.